By way of reminder, uh, I would ask you to speak up, especially if you have something cool to say. Joshua, that's you, bud. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Maybe we can put your chair here. <laughs> oh, man. Question three is an essay. <laughs> All right, so uh, coming around is uh, is the the first part of uh, the lesson that you were unable to download because I didn't uh, write it in time for you just uh, to get our discussion going. Um, your next lesson, the next three chapters in First uh, Corinthians, will include uh, this lesson as well, so you can catch up if you're um, putting together a, an awesome study guide to share with your son when he's born in two weeks. So, <clears throat> no pressure. Yeah. Blessed you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Okay. So, for those of you who uh, were unable to make it, I don't know that we, we missed a lot of guys. Um, but I know we missed Gregory, and it was Gregory's idea to actually make the glass table into a map. We did that. You missed it. That's really cool. So thank you, thank you. Wow. So here's the. Uh, Whoa. Isn't that cool? So this is the glass table made into a map, so we can learn where did Paul go. Now, for those of you who weren't here, we actually took this map and then used the four walls to depict it so that we could figure out where things were at. And that included right over Todd's current head location, the uh, seven churches or assemblies uh, that are mentioned in Revelation. And they're right in a circle off of there. And that's right off the coast of the island of Patmos where he had been detained uh, in the latter years of his life. So that was a cool deal. And I'm going to try and figure out some way to make this not look quite as uh, last tabley on the uh, on the carpety thingy. <laughs> so give me a week to do that and we'll add that into the uh, into the book. Yeah, so you know it'll be a hologram. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You put your finger through it, but you know. Um, <laughs> So for, for those of you who are here, you'll recall that we had, we had Jerusalem on this wall in the back end, and Antioch was in this corner all the way up here, and then we went across Galatia and Asia and ended up in Macedonia as Paul was beckoned to come across to Macedonia in Philippi, Thessalonica, and so forth. And then he went down into Greece, and we saw that he went to Athens as well as Corinth. Oddly enough, he then left there and went all the way back to Jerusalem and ended that second missionary journey by ending up in Antioch again. So I'm just trying to put this in terms of the United States. When he left Jerusalem and went up to Antioch, across that continent, crossed over some water, and then went down into Greece and ended up in Corinth. If he were actually driving a Studebaker, how far would he have traveled? Over 
Baker for Studebakers wouldn't have been there was was only a two and a half (laughs) missionary journey we didn't get to the full three so we we, we were talking about miles i mean we talked is it 50 miles to go from jerusalem up to antioch or or what are we looking at there how about how about across asia which we know is is mostly turkey right now right and then you end up over there and then you got to come down from what is southern Europe into into uh, Greece? What are we thinking? thinking it's a three day journey for Fred here. This That's, yeah, well, yeah. he'd be running, right? Yeah. yeah. So he just uh, tr- Fred's training for a marathon. For those of you who are unawares there, and uh, yeah, he he left the other morning and uh, he never came back. He <laughs> four hours later he showed up and had run twenty miles. Yeah. The sad part is that he had stopped at several get-and-goes and didn't bring anything back for me. I just don't get that. You know, maybe he needs some kind of carrying thing. But the 500 miles? 500 miles is uh, is not in the book. No. So it's it's well over a thousand miles. Now I want you to remember that Paul walked most of that way, right? Obviously, he took a boat here and there. Coming back, he took. A ship back most of the way we know what happened during that time but then he walked back up to Antioch but it's a little over a thousand miles which would be a third of the way across the United States it's a long long ways and And in those days it took a long time and over the water it was a it's a great time on the water as well so just so we're we're clear about how how far this all was and you know when we're doing the walls with time it's a thousand years per wall and we're looking at almost 500 miles per wall so Jerusalem to Antioch is that far away Jerusalem to Antioch is I wrote down on my pad it's about 350 miles yeah. oh wow so you're up the coast right? right until you get to that corner where Galatia, Turkey, if you will now, and Asia are, are coming out. So if we start out in North Carolina, go up and over, down, yeah, just drive to Kansas. Kansas. Same kind of deal. Just go to Rochester, where I'm from. That's about, a, that was that, 1,000 miles? Right, just about. Right. Okay. So you're going all Canada. the way up the yeah. coast. Just go to Canada. Oh, right? yeah. From my oh. driveway here to, to my, my mom's driveway in Houston is 1,051 miles. There you go. Right? Yeah. So you're, you're talking a considerable distance. So I, I want to make sure that you're, you're, you're understanding, right? He didn't leave in, you know, two days later, you know, threw his knapsack on the ground and, and he was in Corinth. Plus, it's like you and I trying to get to England. There's water in the way. If you're not going to go by boat straight across, you've got to go up and around which is what he did. Cool. All right, so uh, I would ask you uh, to just greet our good friend, uh, Mr. Brock Wright, who's listening and is chatting online with us tonight. Hello, Brock. Hello, Brock. Good man. Okay. So he does this second missionary journey, ends up spending a great deal of time down there in Corinth, 
and we had the whole Apollos flip, right? Mm -hmm. So Apollos is down there, he's up in Ephesus. Apollos decides to go up to Ephesus at the same time that Paul is going back down to Athens and Corinth, and they miss each other. So there's no evidence so far that they met, but obviously they're interfacing with the same type of people, right? Um, so in Corinth, he evidently had some thoughts when he got back home, and that's what we're reading about now. Again, doing this chronologically, we stopped at Acts chapter 19, so that we could say, wait a second, now he, he stopped and penned a letter. So this is that first 16 chapters of that deal. Um, so who's, uh, let's, let's definitely use your scriptures uh, tonight. So if you don't have a Bible handy, a left-hand column up behind you there would have uh, what you may require. But let's, uh, let's take a look at the scriptures and see what, uh, what's the group he's writing to? Who's, who's the audience of this letter? And who's, who's he sending it with or on behalf of, if you will? So let's, let's get a little conversation going here. Well, is it Chloe that gave him news to even? You, you got to really wonder about Chloe. I'm still wondering right? about Chloe, right? <laughs> She's just kind of letting it out and uh, spilling the beans. Yeah. Through her people. Through her people, yeah. So Chloe's, Chloe's got some delegated. people. Yeah. Right? Who's, who's he writing to? So the Messiah community. Where? Corinth. Okay. And you say Messianic community. Okay. What? Did anything catch you about verse 2 in here? Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach or Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. What's, what's that all about? What'd you, what'd you grab there? Well, I was just thinking like that first part, you almost know what he's about to address by the amount, the, by the sheer volume of references to Yeshua. Right. In right. just his introduction, he just keeps reiterating it over and over and over again before he even starts to get into the issues that he's been hearing. But you can kind of, you can tell right off the he's, bat, he's, he's hammering home some point. Four times here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, he pings it again. <laughs> he's got uh, five and six coming up pretty quick after that. It's, all, it's almost like when he makes that statement with all, with all who in every place call upon the name, it's almost like he's trying to convey this sense of, hey, you folks here in Corinth, you're, you're part of something much, much bigger, bigger than just you. Exactly. Well, he's also, I think, getting at the idea that I guess the, the, the theme of the first three chapters in my mind is all about unity. Okay. And he's trying to argue that like this, this internal divisions that they've got going is, I'm not trying to jump ahead too much here, but that that's a problem. It's a norm for you. Yes, I know. Um, but yeah. you're right. Just wait till he gets started. Yeah. Doing it together, I, I, right? It's a tag team um, thing. You but know? No, so the, but uh, you're right. He's, he's starting with a whole unity thing because right. we, we got a big thing going on here and you're a little cog here and I've got some problems with your unity within that. Well, right, and, he's, and to his point, to Mr. Ruffin's point, the idea that it's about, you know, you're part of a bigger picture, I think that's also supposed to diminish the factionism going on there to basically say, like, 
I mean, you know, you're arguing you over me? which guy you're following. You're part of such things so much bigger than that. Like, yeah. that yeah. doesn't even matter. There are people who don't even know who Apollos is that are part of this community. Right. I love it. That's a great answer. So now, um, I just, I need you to think about this because, I mean, it's the first thing that kept into my, that's left into my mind. Remember, our, our study is, what about me? As non-Jews, we're looking at this. So, I want you from a non-Jew perspective, knowing that there's Jews and there's non-Jews, I want you to look again at the second half of verse 2. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So... Am, am, I, am I bringing something in there that's not there, or am I seeing a unity in, without question? I mean, that's, that's the focus here, I think, in, sure, in chapter 1, right? Is there a unity here that would include Jews and Gentiles? I could quote another book that we'll get to later that says that we're one in Messiah. And that there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free. It, I mean, it just leapt out to me, but, you know, I'm looking for that. So what do you think? Give me, give me some feedback. Am I making that up? Or is that also one of the unifying points here that would also not just lead to of segue into their divisions, which he wants to talk about, but also making somewhat of a theological statement that everyone who calls on the name of Yeshua, everyone, is all one body. And it doesn't matter if you started out as a Jew or you started out as a Non-Jew. Am I making it up or is it there? Give, give me your thoughts. Tonight. <laughs> I think it makes Here. sense. If it's if it's the same, it's almost the same style of message he's giving to the Ephesians as well, um, who uh, are not in Greece, but I mean it's part of the same journeys he's making. Right, right. This non-Jewish community. And he spends an even more extensive time with them, right. really emphasizing that. Even years. though, well, yeah, yes, but I'm thinking extensive time talking about this issue um, in the Book of Ephesians. Even though it's it's not doesn't seem to be a problem for them, it's more like he's just kind of offering like a reminder and encouragement. Um, in this case, it does feel like he's noting that, but although it's not a it's not a focal point. Yeah, I don't think it is. I'm just trying to make the point that he. At least my, I, I didn't notice him grab groups. I, I think contextually, contextually, you know, when you think about what was going on in that day and in that time period, um, that that that's always an elephant in the room, right? Right? Because here you have, here you have, you know. Orthodox Pharisee, big time, who has been 
commissioned by Hashem through Mashiach, right, to go to the to the Gentiles, right. which already has certain groups in his own Jewish community a little bit, you know, yeah. on edge. And, right? and, it, because, and, it, and it appears that they're following him around right, to, because, to visit the communities after he leaves to kind of straighten things out. Because keep in mind, again, contextually, the prevailing uh, halakha at the time was we as Jews, we really don't have anything to do with non-Jews. Right. Um, our, our interaction with non-Jews is very, very limited, right? right? Exactly. So like by, by design. Right, by design. So he's already, so he's, he is kind of the bleeding edge of, you know, something that's making other people uncomfortable already. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And so I, I think that's, it was just always an elephant in the room and he's just, he just kind of starting out saying, hey, we're all, if, if to the extent we, to the extent that we are all um, uh, a, a calling on the name of Messiah Yeshua, yeah. then there is a unity here, yeah. regardless of anything else. Have, good, yeah. Um, three, seven. So neither uh, the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive the wages according to labor of each. So yeah. it's just basically saying everybody's got a role to play. Everybody's got their own, I don't even want to use the word beliefs, but everybody's got something going on, but it is God who's really doing it all. Yeah, is, but is there's still a unity about. there. Right, we all, right, we're all working one together. One team, yeah. yeah. That's it, I mean, that's what I said. Scott. Uh, I, I thought that the there in hours seems a little funny. Yeah. Because you know, he, he's clearly indicating there's two groups. Exactly. Which is and, why I bring it up in the first place. Right. And he's identifying with one of those groups because he says ours. Right. And the group he seems to be identifying with is his audience. Which is ironic Which, because wow. right. he's a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, Blah blah blah. As we'll see later on in Acts. Yeah, right. Exactly right. But then he he makes a point later in the same book to discount <laughs> the the really wordy explanations and the things that probably most Jews would have really appreciated those sure. sagely wisdom sure. tidbits and whatnot, and, and kind of just goes in a very more direct yeah. route yeah. with his with his letter. And it's almost because it's almost audience. like he's forsaking his training. It, at least you'll see right right in the first couple of chapters here, he's like, you know, the wise, the foolish, you know, great arguments and great debaters and all that. Well, he's, it's like he's almost describing himself. He is probably one of the best debaters. He's probably one of the most intelligent and wise men from the scriptures on the planet at that day. And he, I, I, I didn't do any of that. I, I wasn't using any of that. It was just the spirit and the demonstrations of power, which we'll get into in a minute. So it seemed like he was just like blowing that off. But then later he comes in and says, but there are some people that I shared these things with, you know, these more secret, yeah. hidden wisdoms. But y'all are not ready for that. Right, because <laughs> you're acting like kids. I've got to treat you like kids. Mm. Well, it's almost, it's almost like 
you know, in, in Judaism today, well, I don't know if it's still true today, but it was in the past at least, that there was a hierarchy of Jewish teaching that you should dig into. Right. You know, based on your age, based your, your experience, age, your experience sure. and, you know, like, you know, Kabbalah, for example, mysticism for, for traditional Orthodox Judaism was always considered kind of, well, in the past was considered something of a, like an advanced course. Sure. Don't get into that until you've already studied the other stuff. Right, right. Um, other branches of Judaism take it, um, kind of folded in earlier but the point is that um i almost feels kind of like in that element here that like basically what paul's saying is the the beginner level that i started with and that you accepted as the foundation of your faith that's the easy stuff and i didn't do anything special to convince you it wasn't me that's really i think the point he's getting at and i think that's something to kind of get that i i felt like this time reading through it it was helpful to try to think about Paul's point. Having read Paul multiple times lately, I find that he very rarely um, says his point in one sentence. He'll take sure. chapters to say a single thing right? because he's creating layers of argument. Um, and I really feel like that's what he's doing here. So I, I know we're going to dig in more into this, but... Which, which is really a moral function. <coughs> traditional training. It is, it is. Right. And, he, and right. that's the thing. Is, <coughs> going back to, to Mr. Garner's comment, he's not dismissing the Jewish sagely approach. Right, exactly. He's more saying, I didn't use that, so don't look at me. I'm not the reason why you came to the faith. But by the way, you really should be able to handle that by now, and you're not, and I'm disappointed by that. Right, because you're you're still on the on, on the bread and water stuff. And the easy right? stuff. Let's, let's move on. Okay, good. I, it, just to, yeah. I, I think that's an important point because it kind of goes back to some of the previous <clears throat> classes where, you know, uh, like, for example, that these Gentiles were, were you know, being filled with the Spirit of God, right? And the Jews were like, how the heck does that happen, right? Because right. their understanding of, of, of kind of the process. you got to be that, up the ladder. Right? You know, and so I think it's important It's important because Paul is acknowledging that you, God has done something unique here yeah. that nobody can really claim credit for, at least, least, of, least of which myself, right? So he's kind of it's kind of like he's acknowledging that to, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we see two different groups. We see a, a claiming, if you will, to the group he's speaking with, that he clearly believes that God has chosen him to bring the message to. But I do see a a unity there, um, and. Would you agree that chapter one is trying to promote unity? Or is there something else there that you think is an underlying hidden message that I missed? I, I bring to your attention verse 10, for example. Kind of clear. Right? You know? yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's, he's not liking the division stuff. And... Um, I just wonder how he would react seeing even Protestantism, forget Catholicism, just Protestantism today with, you know, with, with everything that's going on. Okay. So we seem to all be on the same sheet of music there. Um, I can help you think about... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, what? When you say, like, unity and division and everything else, I couldn't help but think when he says, uh, each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Paulos, yeah, yeah. Cephas. Christ, like all the different denominations we have. Right. 
yeah. and how there is that division upon, well, you believe this, you believe this, you believe this. Yeah. And here in Bellator, there could easily be a lot more division than there truly is. But I think we've all come to one understanding. We believe that Yeshua, Christ, Jesus, whatever you want to call him, is our Messiah. Mm -hmm. Most everything else. And now we're pretty much done. Right. right? Most <laughs> everything else. Do you coach? Oops. Do you eat kosher? Fantastic. Great. If I don't, okay. Now, if you eat pork, we have a different talk. But right. Like, we can between, work on that. Right. Yeah. Well, and if, even if we don't, like, that's not my deal. Like, we believe that Yeshua is our Messiah. Amen. Well, and everything even, else is kind of, you're on your own there. And then it says, is Christ divided? Right. And we know he's not. And then even stretching it even somewhat beyond that, um, I would hope everyone in this room is comfortable in interfacing with any number of believer from any different group or, or denomination. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you very quickly find that most of the disagreements are small. I think you're uh, like to point out that most Christians keep like 95% of the Torah by accident. So, um, right. you know, just as part of their normal morality uh, that they grew up with. Um, so basically, the um, you know Paul's Paul's point here about the divisions is interesting to me because I had never thought of it in the context of a Jewish way of looking at it. So I've always so I've always thought of it in the context of denominations, like we're talking about. But denominations were, were sects in Judaism, right? 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 But, but but to some degree, that's a little bit anachronistic for this time frame. Definitely, denominations are maybe sects aren't, but obviously, but. Um, but when I looked at this, it's interesting. He doesn't; these people aren't saying that they're following a particular um, theology or a particular concept. Oh, I'm I'm the seventh day, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I we are the kosher people, or whatever it might be. Um, the, he he specifically points out that they're saying that they follow a specific person, which starts oh, wow. to really starts to really argue to me that their their dividing lines are more in the line of the Jewish idea of having a different rabbi. My rabbi says Rebbe. this, Rebbe. your rabbi says that, yeah. and I follow this person's authority, Rebbe. this person says it's okay to eat this, this person says it's not, this person believes that this happened. And it's interesting because I think that Paul's point, and this is actually very interesting to me, he isn't necessarily saying that you shouldn't listen to somebody in particular. But it seems to me, I don't know, in my mind, maybe I'm smart reading that, it seems to me like his focus is like, don't let that distract you from the bigger picture which is, I mean, not always right. Which is not always true in Judaism, but there is an effort, I think, to some degree at that. You know, even within Orthodoxy, there's, I mean, a thousand different post-sects and true. rabbis and whatnot, and so you have to all work together, even if maybe you did have some variation in your in yeah. your beliefs and halakha. I, I like what you're saying, and I would, I would, uh, I would go further and say that. Who are, who are the rabbis that stick out to us, if not the ones that tend to broad brush it and not focus on a specific sect? Who's, who's America's rabbi, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's speaking to everybody. Rabbi Sir Jonathan Sachs, I get it, right? I mean, what's so special about the guy is it doesn't matter which sect you're in in Judaism, you don't even need to be in Judaism to recognize the wisdom and so forth that comes. Same thing with some of the other rabbis that we know. They're putting out a message that's more, I wouldn't say they're deliberately unifying, but they're not 
specific to a given set. And actually, as I read through the mostly, I almost wonder if Paul is partly intentionally trying to dissuade against some level of rabbinic approach to the individuals in the group, because of course we we know from um, the experience with Peter with the Acts 10 that the um, the assembly in Jerusalem is really the authority. They have their own little miniature Sanhedrin, their little court that is effectively making rulings for the community as as a whole, and so beyond Jerusalem, beyond Jerusalem as well as in Jerusalem, and. Therefore, um, it's possible that Paul might be uncomfortable with the idea of them picking an individual to follow, although he specifically does say in other letters, follow my example, so I don't know. Well, he says, follow my example as I follow Yeshua, almost like being on a skinny ladder. Um, I get the impression that following a rabbi is a more personal, close-by thing, where you're following someone that's in your own community, and you're... You know, you're interacting with them, and they're choosing people that aren't even that have visited, but are not permanently in their community. Kind of like different people might say, "I like, like this televangelist." Like or you like that televangelist? Like superstars, yeah. Yeah. You know, that, so it's I may not even have met him, but pride thing. I like this guy. Yeah. Okay. Too. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 okay. My guy is better than your guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was just trying to think of like, what's the fix that he recommends? Like what? What is his his fix for the disunity or the quarreling? And it, it kind of it doesn't it isn't necessarily well. You should next time you mention your rabbi or next time you're referencing the person that you follow, try to just reference be a little bit the, nicer. Try to reference the other guy as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, not it's, his. It's not it. It's it's basically like he it 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 just sort of goes straight to what their message is. It's almost like. Instead of talking about the people talking about this thing, let's just talk about this thing, which is, you know, uh, Messiah crucified. Amen. Lose Good. the personality to focus on the message. Yeah. Which started in verse yeah. 2. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we know the Torah obviously sanctions having a local leader, right? Which sure. would, in, in a Jewish perspective, that's your LOR, your local Orthodox rabbi or whatever. <coughs> um, so... I think contextually we would assume that a similar structure was advocated, you know, in this case. I think what I think the way I interpret this is that you have different, you know, these, you know, Apollos and 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 Cephas and, and, Cephas and these others. Uh, to Todd's point, I don't think were the local Orthodox rabbi. I think they were the traveling evangelists yeah, coming through the super different times, yeah. right? Um, and obviously certain people were attaching themselves to the teachings of this person or that person. I got saved at the Billy Graham crusade. Right. And so if Billy Graham didn't save you, then are you really Are you really saved? Right. Right. Yeah. So I think, I, think, I think they started to elevate some of the personalities, and I think Paul's just bringing it back to, yeah. look, you know, it's not me. Don't, you know, it's not me, it's not and, Apollos. And if, it, and if it's not me, it's also not Apollos or Cephas. Right. Or, yeah, exactly. It's, it's Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Well, and, and I think to underscore the, the, the intensity of the division is actually the last one. So he says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Messiah. And, I mean, you can hear the tone of voice in that one. Oh, well, I follow Messiah. 
you know, you know, it's like, uh, you know, we are, I'm not Baptist, we are Church of God, or whatever, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so interesting here, I feel like, that um, I think that's really what bothers him, is the, is it's not just a matter of um, quoting your favorite guy, or, or even having possibly a set of holocaust to follow from that specific person. I, I think it's definitely, there's, there's a, almost a borderline nastiness it sounds like to it where there's yeah, there, there's the argument debate and division based on who you're you're listening to right and let me see if I can summarize what we've all said with this and, and to bring it back again uh, to the to the beginning where we've got these two groups is he's trying to say how you got here is not what you should be focusing on. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we are all, scroll back up, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of Yeshua the Messiah, both their Lord and ours. It's, it's like, guys, that, that's the unifying principle here. That's what we all have in common. That's, to your point, why we still have a community. Because we focus on the one thing that is absolutely common. If you show up here and you're a Sabra and you just wanted to pray Shakarit because we're doing Shakarit, you will not end up staying with us if you don't know or want to know Yeshua as Messiah. Because that's who we are and nothing more. So, good. Well, yeah. So, in the end, at the end of chapter one, and then like midway through chapter two, I think it talks a lot also about like, um, what comes to mind for me is like the Pharisees who are constantly judging uh, others. So in 26 it says, um, so it's written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, but it also says, um, so that no human being might boast in the you, presence of Are you in the back end of two already? Uh, I'm in the back end of one. And then 126? 126 through 31. Okay. So it seems like he's talking about those who boast about knowing. Um, and in 10, uh, he talks to this, sorry, 11. Um, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? And I think it's really kind of interesting where we talk a lot about um, the way pers- a person is walking and not really knowing, like you can't really know if someone's saved. Right. I don't know that. Right, you can't. Only God knows that. That's right. Only that individual. Um, I was just kind of thinking that was interesting. Just kind of make, in 126 through 31, kind of made me think a lot about mm-hmm. those who boast about knowing so much about God's word and knowing what God's thinking and what he requires. Yeah. And then going into not really knowing what that individual, what their life has looked like. Right. His, his, his point is, if you want to boast in anything, boast that you know the Lord mm-hmm. or I would argue that the Lord has recognized and knows you. <clears throat> I, I kind of chuckle at verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. I was just going there. What do Jews demand and non-Jews seek? Jews ask for signs, right? And we see that all the way back. I mean, most, <coughs> most you know, I mean, all the way back to Moses, Moses time. You know, all, you know, and then even Yeshua would give us a sign. Yeah, and, and now, even now. They, well, 
but they're asking for signs, not wisdom. Why? Because Jews already have the wisdom. That's right. Right? It's funny how... But they're looking for signs of confirmation, whereas right. the Greeks... Right, because what was, what was kind of Greek culture, at least in one of the hallmarks of Greek culture, was the fact that you know, they were... You know, they were... Thinkers. Thinkers, right? Scholarly. And, and they yeah. were seeking out knowledge. Socrates. Well, Jews already have that, right? So the Greek, the Greeks are trying to find the wisdom. The Jews already have the wisdom. The Jews are looking for signs. And, it was, and the fact that they're looking for signs and they get them and still don't believe, that was also that was a big problem. Right? <laughs> a big problem. So, and it's also <laughs> it's interesting here because for the, for the Jewish people... So I think one of the things when he talks about wisdom, to me, he talks a lot of wisdom of the world. Yeah. And I think yeah. the, the, what he's keying in on is that Greek, the Greek wisdom, um, yeah. where almost form was more important than content. Absolutely. It's like logic. It had to be, you know, A plus B equals, you know, C. It had to be exactly in the correct structure, the correct format, whatever else. I mean, you start to see in Greek thought, you know, some of the Greek philosophers are actually doubting religion because of the logic that they're developing, whatever else. Which is which is un, unheard of in history up to that point. So the Greeks have really turned away from a religious way of thinking to a human um, analysis way of thinking, kind of a Descartes kind of model. Whereas the Jewish people, they have always embraced the idea that wisdom is from above. That it's almost like they don't need to know the reason. They don't need to understand it necessarily. And we have specific. Um, Super rational commands that right. we know we can't understand. So, I mean, so we're beyond that. All I need to do is comprehend what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to work out all the pieces. So, right. for for a Jewish person, the the issue of the sign is important because their their life is defined by religion. It's defined by faith. the The Greek person's focus is on is on wisdom. It's interesting to me that Paul spends almost no time worrying about signs in this discussion. That's right. In fact, if anything, he kind of argues, look, you already saw those, so that should take care of that one. But, but, but on the wisdom mind, side... But, but who's his, who's his, his intended oh, audience, right? right? He's, he's talking to non-Jews. Right, he is. So they're dealing with the wisdom issue. But I think it's also important because the primary um, character that makes the most appearances in this passage, and he shows up in Acts, and he's a really big deal, and that's Apollos. And we know, based on the discussion of him in Acts, that he's he's a debater, he's a thinker, he's brilliant, yeah. and he's very good at expressing it. And so I think that what part of what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to say, look, you put your faith in the arguments of a man, you're completely missing the whole point of why you're here. And quite <clears throat> frankly, I mean, you know, we've been in this room with some people who did that, put started to kind of ask, not just ask, not say ask questions they shouldn't be asking, but, but more like start thinking, well, what do men say about God that challenges God's word? And maybe I should listen to them instead <clears throat> and how dangerous that is. And so sure. Paul is really like hammering on that so, for like three chapters. I like agree. that's not where you should be I looking. Agree. The idea that this is what men say Messiah will do. <clears throat> Did this Messiah do that? If he didn't, then he can't be the Messiah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe we have a premise problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good. <coughs> I was kind of wondering what you guys thought the difference between a stumbling block and folly oh, is. Man, this is like a pain, you guys. 
Segway here, segway there. That's exactly what I wanted to go into next. And for those of you who are not following along at home, uh, Gregory is referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he's picking up the sentence that begins at 22, but the focus is on verse 23, with the stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So what's, what's the difference? So, when you hear stumbling block, what do you think of? A writer's block. Something that gets okay. in the way. Huh? Something that gets in the way. Anything else? The builder. Thank you. Don't you think of Isaiah? Yeah, I've got two guys who are thinking of Isaiah. I don't know what the rest of you are thinking about, but we all are thinking about Isaiah. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, I just crazy. want to make that point. Okay, okay. good. Go ahead, sir. I'm crazy. You've got a... Oh, yeah, so some kind of a right the, the the stumbling block I'm viewing as you know the, the Jews uh, they they have the, the the knowledge of the Torah and right. they're pursuing it right but the I just can't get over this, this. yeah the, the Messiah makes no sense that I can't get over it can, uh, can the, anything good come from Galilee right well the, the I, wait a minute we know his parents so I would have a slightly different view there I would say it's not so the, the idea of redemption and Messiah um, is foolishness to the Greeks. What you know? What? That's not foolishness to Jews. Jews are looking for Messiah to redeem them. Hook, line, and sink. The stumbling block is the person, the person of, sure. of of Absolutely. of Yeshua Absolutely. and how he. Uh, how he came and how he didn't do exactly what they expected, you know, when he first what he, came. What he did do and what he did so not. So it's not that they don't understand, it's not that they don't understand Messiah. Yeah. They very much understand Messiah. Absolutely. Almost to the point where they kind of psych themselves out a little bit. Right. right? Yeah, they, they're just like so into it. Right. They missed it. Well, and I was focusing on the word crucified there to me, where it's like, because that's one of the biggest problems well, for Jews today. He's going to bring Romans Messiah home Messiah died. On. Like that's that's not supposed to happen. How can that happen? Which wait, is wait, not wait. really true. Wait, wait, you know, it yeah. can happen, but but it's a it's a primary. Yeah, it's bothersome because that wasn't the end goal, and it feels like that's the end of the story right now. He just died. True. And they and they're asking, well, what happens next? And that's the stumbling block for them. For the Greeks, I mean, we this experience happens in Mars Hill. We were already there. It's like he started. You know, Paul says. Yeah, so the guy that I'm following to save the world, he died. He came back from dead. What? Whoa! You know, they're laughing their heads off. I think that's the craziest thing they've ever heard of. Who ever did that? I'm here to talk about the guy with no name. Right. This, yeah. this statue here that's got no statue. Yeah, that's the one I want to he's talk the real, about. He's that's the, real the one. Guy. That's the one, right. He's the right. real one. And they're all interested as long as he's talking, you know, philosophically. Nonsensically. As soon as he strays into um, this, this sort of uh, faith-based religion. Now it's foolishness. Now you have to believe this actually happened and it's actually occurred and these are real actual things. And this is too well, that makes foolish. If it's full, if it's philosophical, we can play along. But if now you're saying that no, this is actually true and actually reality. Uh, and it's as if I needed that in the first place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even if that did happen, right? Someone to die for my for what sins? Sin? Uh, what's a sin? What's a sin? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that just makes no sense. Right. And the thing I was kind of thinking of, too, is like one sounds a lot more permanent than the other. You know, you think of 
the fool described in Proverbs when you think of folly, and it, it's almost like a state that they're in that they can't really get out of, but a stumbling block is, is not permanent. Can it can be removed, and it, it can be overcome, and you can keep going forward, and so that yeah. was another thing that sort of brings, that made me think of uh, just about the branches that are grafted in, and how you know we as Gentiles really don't have a lot to boast about because you can't we're, another, we're sort of in the can't other another book yet. like yeah, yeah. Well, well i'm just saying like we're, we're you know in this particular verse we're kind of in the camp that is a lot more permanent than the other camp where mm-hmm. it was only god that that made that happen for us so lest we you know look to the jew and think like oh how come you're not getting that you know kind of as paul talks about later but right. yeah. yeah that's right and i yes. think it's hilarious where paul goes with this um where he basically is like, you know, it's, it's almost comes off like a comedian. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, God doesn't need to use super strong and wise people. I mean, look at you guys. You know, he's like, uh, God chose the weak ones, the whatever. It's like, you guys were nothing special either, but look how you got here. And that's kind of to Greg's point, almost being like, you know, you guys, you're new to this. And yet, you know, obviously through the spirit and through things that have happened, we've seen God working in your lives. He, he is able to use you in spite of the fact that you are nothing special, so to speak. Um, but it is kind of humorous that in the midst of he's arguing with somebody who's obviously a bit um, kind of arrogant in terms of what, who they think they're following <coughs> to kind of remind them, you're nothing. Yeah. But to a certain extent, maybe this is another layer of irony, because it's, to a certain extent, <coughs> even, even the Jewish people say that about themselves. Like, like God didn't pick the greatest nation, you know, the strongest, because you picked us. The smallest. Who were we? Yeah. We were the smallest, you know, ragtag bunch of bozos, you know, right. on the planet. And God picked us. I know we're to, the chosen people, but couldn't you choose somebody else every right. now and then? Right. right. Yeah, so to a certain extent, you know, he can say what he's saying about them because he is that too. He is well, that, he actually yeah. ends up doing that. Like the very yeah. next chapter, chapter two, Paul basically derides his own. Uh, abilities of persuasion in Corinth pretty much says, look, I don't know what you convinced you guys, aside from the fact yeah. it was God. But it couldn't be me. It right. wouldn't be. Alright, so before we move into two, I've got uh, TB Jack says, there seems to be a conflict between wisdom, knowledge, and simple acceptance. What's our goal to study? To show thyself approved. Why dig into the scriptures if the real message is so simple? A child can grasp it. That's Tom, by the way. You all know Tom. I'm not a child. I cannot grasp it, Mr. Tom. Oh, I get it. Okay, so. Uh, but it's, it, there, there seems to be a, a dichotomy, right? If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're so wise that you can't get the simple message, well, you're too wise. It's kind of like, yeah, right. It's kind of like in Judaism, they have a layer of biblical discussion. Um, of of analysis and interpretation and uh, step par- into the garden with me, yeah. brother. Let's par- go. The acronym is Pardes, which is a term for like paradise or the Garden of Eden kind of concept. Um, and it starts with the Hebrew. The first level is shot or simple, surface level, the obvious. What is the what do the words actually say? And then as you go through the different layers of interpretation, the sod or the mystery is the last one. Because and the point is that. They all report back up to the simple level. Amen. And it kind of is the same thing here. Basically, Paul's argument is 
the found, and he says in chapter two, there's only one foundation. The foundation is Messiah. Let no one be careful. Let no one lay another foundation. Right. That's the That's only one. The foundation. So at that level, he's right. It's simple. This is easy. This isn't very complicated. You don't have to be a scholar to know it. There's no secret like, ooh, well, you got, you know, the normal way well, to get saved. You don't saved, know the handshake? Yeah, you know, you, you didn't, um, yeah. It's a, but then, on the flip side, um, he chides them for being stuck in a simple. It's like, you guys aren't even ready for level two. Right, we're supposed to be moving forward. What's up here? So ultimately, Good. as we talked about at the very beginning of this, course, of this class, Paul's goal is to get to deeper, more serious stuff. Yeah. First Corinthians is probably the easiest of his books to read Amen. because he's talking to people who don't know enough. And he's concerned that they're still at that level. Exactly. The, and with Pardes, though, it's, I think it's... You're going to have to speak up. I know oh. Tom can't hear you. He's old. I, with with Pardes, I think the thing to keep in mind is that it isn't a one-way <laughs> ticket, though. It's not that you're always trying to get further and further down because oh. what we find a lot of times, I feel like, is that the wiser someone gets, the further back up to the simple they come. Yeah. And, and in, more quick. In fact, right, yeah, and I, I feel like Paul kind of does that a bit, where we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, so that's like the simple meaning, but then he's basically saying like, everything that you would consider wise right now isn't even close to wise. Yeah, we, we didn't even start there yet. Right, yeah, and so then it, it's, yeah. it's all kind of like this, this circle exactly. uh, that he takes them back to being very wise himself. Right, the foundation is is not the starting point to get away from. The foundation is the most important that everything else is built on. Right, right. Love you, Tom. Thank you, brother. All right, so I'm looking at all of you to help me with um, verse 4 of chapter 2. As we move into chapter 2, we're right on time, guys. You're doing a great job. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what convinced them to believe in Messiah Yeshua, according to Paul. He didn't go there with fancy words. He wasn't very eloquent. It wasn't what he said. It was a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is that? All of it. I've looked at the servant leadership. Mm -hmm. And I, I think how Paul's serving these communities, I think how Yeshua is the servant and obedient unto death, and how mm -hmm. the, that's just not intellectually where it's supposed to be. How, how's that even good? Okay, I get it. And Faithful then, servant. He, right? he did, yeah. But I'm looking for demonstration of power. I'm looking for a demonstration of the spirit, a demonstration of power. And maybe I just hadn't read it in a while, but maybe we need to go back to Acts. Did I miss something? I didn't think we had anything going on in Corinth. I mean, he mentioned Sosthenes at the beginning of this. Sosthenes got the, 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 the bejeebies beat out of him, but that was not in Corinth. Well, that was in Ephesus, wasn't it? So he leaves, takes takes the boat or walks over. I thought we talked to Booth. I don't know. He, he went to Corinth. What happened in Corinth? 
Did we have something going on in Corinth that I missed? What demonstration of the Spirit or demonstration of power did the Corinthians see that convinced them to believe in Messiah Yeshua? The demonstration of the Spirit, as you and I have talked about before, the fact that non-Jews would speak in tongues, big time. I think it's a serious demonstration of the Spirit. I don't recall reading about one of those at Corinth. Now, I say honestly, I've been on vacation for a month. Maybe I forgot what happened in Corinth. So if you want to back up into Acts 17, 18, 19, you might see something. But I don't remember it. And I know I'm old. Gosh, I'm as old as Tom. But I'm not that old. I don't remember it. Do you? What was the demonstration of the Spirit? What was the demonstration of power? That's dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that Greek word. What dynamite happened in Corinth? We didn't have a snake jumping on his hand and he had to shake it off and they're waiting for him to die. That didn't happen in Corinth. You did you uh, get baptized in the spirit? Well, we don't even know about the spirit. He lays hands on them and they speak in tongues. That wasn't at Corinth. Well, it does say that he was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Okay. I mean, that is one clue, but okay, so we would really have that's to good. go back. That's good. That's good. Weakness, fear, trembling. These seem to be, though, the opposite of demonstrations of the Spirit or demonstrations of power. Those would be demonstrations of weakness, which I think he did. Yeah. That's his point, right? He didn't, he didn't speak with authority and with all kind of cool words to talk them into believing the gospel. He left it to demonstrations of the Spirit and demonstrations of power. Well, something, if something like that, okay, so if... If he was if he was there in weakness and fear much trembling, if that happened, then this demonstration could be showing like um uh, well, Quill. Okay. Yeah. Priscilla, so, I didn't realize I was in Corinth until I looked back. What happened? Well, Priscilla and Aquila are in Corinth and they help Apollos and Apollos heads to Ephesus, presumably to spend some time with Paul, but unfortunately Paul went to Corinth. When, when, so when Apollos passing the night. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I, I don't see any evidence so I mean, far to me, that they met. But it seems like Paul, Paul is somehow saying that it, it's like he's saying, "Look, when I was the first time I was here, now maybe we don't have a an, ex, an explicit recording of that in the in the Gospels, right?" Which is my point. Yes. So he's he's saying, "Look." The first time I was here, I came not with a bunch of cool wisdom and whatever, but I came in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, which I think contextually, when you go back through other scriptures, right, how is that phrase typically defined? It usually means there was an outpouring of the of the Holy Spirit. On non that, that that resulted in them in in a manifestation of some sort could have been speaking in tongues could have been healing could have been any number of, of and, things and, and all described. of those happened with him right and 
and apparently they saw those signs and believed, which again kind of goes back to the previous conversation. The Jews have seen these signs and they don't believe, but the, the Gentiles saw the signs and were like, oh my gosh. Holy cow. This, this has to be real. Right. Right. And now, but now they're trying to reconcile the wisdom aspect. Of there it is. That's, so, that's my point. So, what he said is what I think happened. So it's kind of. We, like have, a, we have extra biblical evidence now, I think, that there were miracles, there were signs, there were wonders that happened in Corinth. And he's referencing them. We just don't have a record of an Acts because it didn't get written down by Luke. But something happened, according to his own words, other than so that, him doing a super PowerPoint presentation and giving the most awesome speech you've ever had, and 5,000 Corinthians decide to step up. That did not happen. Verse this 5, happened. so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Amen. Verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. And this is where he starts to... Start to knuckle on. Yeah. I was going to say, oh, somebody. I, I was going to say that he, um, in terms of the, the miracles or signs, it it would seem to me very likely it's something to do with speaking in tongues, given that later on in the book, um, that seems to be like the thing yeah. the Corinthians are most interested in. Yeah. Um, and Paul is discouraging them from that, being like, yeah. look, that's great, and it's a it's very influential, but that's really more about like. Um, that's like an internal thing. It's gonna freak people out who aren't supposed to, who aren't normally right, here. Right. Like that's not really like the, the, you should be aiming for prophecy, yeah. not so, just tongues. So you'd have to question why he'd even go there, unless there was some there. Right. So it seems like that's he, at the beginning of chapter one. He says, you know, you have received all gifts. He, he was marveling about that or whatever. He made comments about like, you know, like you're not lacking in any way. And right. so again, right. it takes me back to the end of First Corinthians where it seems like. It's possible that there were more miracles and things happening among the community, um, not necessarily with Paul. And it's possible um, that, uh, you know, depending on how things went down, that Paul may have not necessarily have been the one doing the miracles or even the one present for them all, which may be why Luke didn't write it down. That Paul's delivering a message, he's going, you know, down the street or to Ephesus or whatever, while he's gone. Boy, this handful of people who thought that was a cool idea started, you know, doing crazy stuff. Paul comes back, and wow, look, you know, what's going on? My point being that, like, we don't need the story to have an idea, but I don't, this doesn't seem to be anything dramatic. But I think that really, though, Paul, more than that, though, I think he's trying to emphasize that, the, when he's talking about the power of God, it's more than just signs and wonders. I think he's really getting at the power of God is the message of Messiah, that, like, you, you know, you, you have believed, you saw the miracles, that probably was like a clincher for you, but God opened your heart to this. Like, I, this, I, this happened. I don't know if you're allowed to use the Romans thing, that the gospel is the power of God under salvation, but I do agree with you. And, and again, now, hang on, the, I think the whole thing is speculation, hmm. but he does reference these things. So maybe there were miracles. Maybe they did speak in tongues. So maybe people did get healed, but surely there's power here, and it's not just signs and wonders. Sure. He said God has revealed us through the Spirit, and it, before that is what what no eyes have seen, nor ears have heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. For those things God has revealed us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So. 
it, it's right there. No eyes have seen, nor ears have heard, but we know something happened. Good. Well, and that, that goes back to what I was trying to get at the end there, that, that he says there that, um, you know, the so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Next verse, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. But then verse 7, he says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. But as you continue through the passage, you realize that it's not a special secret bonus message that he hasn't gotten around to yet. Right. It's the same one from the beginning. It's Messiah crucified. Well, not only over that, and over he, again. he makes it clear none of the rulers of this age understood this. Who's he talking about? The wise men and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Right. Otherwise, they would not have crucified him. Exactly. And so, going to Uncle Fred's point here, his his comment, you know, the eye has not seen, ear heart has uh, has heart has imagined. He's again talking about this death and resurrection of Messiah and how important that is. Right. That because he's that, quoting from the prophet. That that it, in effect is the wisdom and power of God to quote from another part in this trilogy of chapters. Um, so it's like I think that it's almost like Paul keeps getting back to what we're talking about at the beginning. Forget the messenger. All about the message. Amen. I didn't display this in any brilliant uh, right. discourse. Right. I just spoke the truth, and it changed your lives. Don't forget that. Didn't Apollos come before him to Corinth? Yes. And he was an eloquent speaker. Amazing. <laughs> I don't think Paul's really yeah. taking a shot at him, though, right? No, I don't think so either. But he 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 clearly had something that was a little missing from his message, and that was corrected. And I think it was corrected there. But still, you're right. There, a, a good speaker came first. And now he's claiming not to be able to speak well, um, but has it. Okay, so I just want to see uh, what your thoughts are um, as we move into uh, chapter 3 here and bring it all together. Um, what's, is Paul trying to say you need to be stupid? dim-witted to believe yeah. the gospel? What's the deal here? Yeah. And i got a whole lot of foolish stuff going on, and I just want to make sure I understand it, because I'm I'm from New York. I move pretty slow. Uh, I, I think he's just... He, he definitely understands the value of wisdom um, and deep wisdom. Sure. Right? And he even says, look, I, I want to be able to share... The deep wisdoms and teachings. And I'm done. stuck. I can't with but, you. But it's just like, I mean, you can have a wall full of commentaries and Talmud and Matthew Henry and all that stuff, and there's huge amounts of of wisdom in those resources. But at the end of the day, what are all those resources there to accomplish? To bring you back to a simple knowledge of God, mm -hmm. right? So it's like. You can't let the simple truth um, the, be, be shattered. Kind of going back to the pardes. I mean, the the deeper you go, the the deeper truths can never overtake the simple truth. Right. In fact, they should support it. They should they should at the very least not contradict the simple truth, right. but should probably be. Shoring up the simple truth, yeah, right? Yeah. And they strengthen your faith in the simple truth mm -hmm. as you understand the deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 
Is everybody cool on that? I mean, yeah, when I first read through this, and, and to be honest with you, I, I don't even know if I've ever read this before. Um, that is what I got, it, and I did a little bit of research right off. And it says a clever argument that does not give honor to God achieves nothing good. And it was just that it doesn't matter what the argument is. It doesn't matter how much you know yep. you got going. It's you you missed the bigger picture. Yeah, exactly. Good. We're good. Yeah. Uh, was noticing this Cindy when she was reading this said uh, that it was interesting the language of for I decided to know nothing among you except Yeshua Messiah and him crucified mm. and then we're talking then as we're talking about lofty speech and Apollos coming first it says um, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom I decided to know nothing. It sounds like he, in, he, he deliberately said that you had a guy that came with eloquent speech. I decided I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to focus on. Not that he couldn't do that, which he did. Not that, he, not that he's saying right. don't don't right. Ha, don't you know have wisdom or whatever. He's saying I made the deliberate choice to not show up and be a know-it-all. Because we know that he does that often. I am. I am to this person this way and that person that way. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and I think that's a really important point to highlight that it, take the focus on the context, the simple in these three chapters, the simple is it's the message, not the messenger. The mistake I think that sometimes gets made in these chapters is that we start trying to create some sort of theo uh, um, uh, theologian halakha out of this where it's like, Oh, did you did you decide to quote from a commentary? Oh well, I mean, oops, that's wrong. Like you should, if you're not quoting straight from scripture, if we don't mention Jesus's name every fourth word, like that's that's not even. If we don't have a, you know, a call to the altar at the end of every sermon, it wasn't even worth being here. You know, and it's like we that's not Paul's point. You know, Paul's point is saying in this context at this time, I only did this. So, and the reason I'm saying that is specifically because I don't want you guys to think I'm special. You don't follow me, you follow Messiah. Amen. Beyond that, Paul actually is arguing in chapter 3, I really wish we could move past this. I really wish that I could get to all the cool stuff that I really want to tell you. Um, and if you, and, as, and I think as someone else was saying here, that if you read the rest, I think you mentioned this, you read the rest of Paul's other sermons, and certainly his other epistles, Holy cow. My goodness. I mean, the guy's like, he's making... Even Peter says, he, Paul, it's sometimes hard to understand. Sometimes? I mean, so the idea is that is that he's not shying away from deep theology. Correct. I mean, he even quotes from the Greek poets at Mars Hill. Yeah. So, you know, techniques are not out the window. He's not Nor even shying away from that a paragraph later when he starts getting into the whole metaphor of the temple and everything. Right. That's pretty deep. Yeah. I mean, you try explaining that to a child and it's like, what? Right. Like we're a temple? Like, I mean, so he, yeah, he, he definitely, uh, he, he gets deep when he needs to or when he feels like it's appropriate. And right. He Sometimes he gets said. deep when he maybe doesn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just can't help yeah. He's just on a different plane. That whole yeah. temple yeah. thing is like basically a parenthetical statement amidst this argument. It's, it's really exactly hilarious right. how like yeah. that heard, there's he's, been like whole sermons preached on what was basically just an afterthought. Well, yeah. yeah. But he's also that. saying y'all are only drinking milk right. and y'all are not that smart almost. It sounds almost sounds like I'm saying, but I want to let you know you're precious to God. 
you're yeah. the temple. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's and true. I got, yeah. And I got the fire hose here whenever you're ready to take a drink. Well, and it's, yeah. isn't it interesting that the reason why he says they're not ready, you know, we would think about the reason they're not ready is they haven't learned Hebrew or they didn't read Talmud or whatever. The reason they're not ready is because their spirits aren't ready. They're, they're, right. they're so focused on arguing with each other and division and whatnot. One of the things that Judaism talks about is um, they say the spirit of God cannot rest where there's no joy. It's the idea that, like, you've got to be spiritually in the right place to understand the deep things of God. It's not an intellectual thing. Yeah. Well, that was what I was going to say. Like, this, that simple message that he's describing also comes down even to a basic action. The action of not being jealous. The action of not stirring up strife. I mean, Paul lumps strife and anger and mm-hmm. dis- discord with some huge sins later. Yeah. So th- this is clearly like an action-based thing that is evidence of the fact that they're not ready. Mm-hmm. So it's manifesting itself in their discord and their, their tension and, and all these issues that they're having with each other. And that's just evidence of them missing a key piece here. Because that mm-hmm. wouldn't be the case if you know Messiah truly changed their way of life and their perspective and their thoughts that's exactly it's right. like that and that goes back to what Yeshua said in John you know where it's like how will they know that you're my disciples uh, if you have love for one another right. mm-hmm. I used to be really concerned about your walk and now I realize I really need to be concerned about my walk <laughs> and you know what your walk will take care of itself by the way I'm thrilled with your walk oh <laughs> you notice that little follow-on thing right there? Yeah, no. A little awkward yeah. stare. But yeah, I uh, it, it the, the, the whole the whole burden is lifted of do I mean do I care about you? Of course. Do I want to encourage you? Absolutely. Would I open my home to have you come and so that we can just talk about this? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But uh, absolutely but yes. your your walk is your walk with him. And if I focus on my walk, I get to love you more. And God will love you through me. And that, for me, especially a wordy, talkaholic guy, it's been uh, a life-changing thing over the years. And Bellator has helped me with that. Especially with some of the strife we've had and the the hassles and, and uh, you know, we, we, we gently mentioned, so, you know, this guy, you know, and this guy, and again, yeah, well, we've had a lot of, a lot of different things. And, but you know what? Like you were saying, there's one thing that every person in this room has in common. And that's all we need. You know, you get the coolest beard. You don't have any beard. <laughs> But yet you still sit on the same side of the room yeah. with this guy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just it's it is a miracle. <laughs> it's, it's the love of God. Shed abroad. All right. I think uh, my my plan yeah. Uh, my my plan is that uh, this will be the, the first break uh, in your first half of the lesson that you've already done. Um, by tomorrow, this time, uh, you'll find the next lesson, which is 28. Um, we'll continue with chapters 4, 5, and 6 uh, for next week. So you can write in your answers for uh, 1 through 3, uh, and we'll get 4, 5, and 6 in there. And I think I'm going to break at 6. I, I may actually, since it's, it was 
quick bringing it a little further, but I mean, it's 10 to 9, and, and we've, I think, gone through these first chapters pretty well. So Is it going to be a yes, is it going to be yes or no questions, or is it going to be a full answer? Well, it's going to be the same kind of deal here. Okay. Where I just want to hear your thoughts, and I want you to try and write your thoughts down so that when you come here, you don't go, you just asked me a question. Therefore, my, my brain needs to go completely blank. <laughs> uh, I know I read it. I, I mean, I did the lesson, but that was almost a week ago. Yeah. So we'll try and help you with that. I'm glad we're back together. Um, First day for those of you who are, are not very familiar with the, uh, the Hebrew calendar yet, in the first month, um, we're commanded that's Nisan and we have Pesach. In the second month, we're on our way to counting the days to the third month so that we have Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. So that first month of Nisan brings us through the month of ER into the month of Sivan. And Sivan 6 is uh, the festival of weeks. The, that's the first three months. The fourth month is the first fast of the year. We have the fast of the fourth and the fast of the fifth. That would be Tammuz and then Ag. And we're, um, if you notice the, the moon, just slightly past the midpoint of Tuba'av. Tuba'av is Monday. Great, great time for, for matching. Yeah. Oh, I guess we don't have anybody that would already talk to. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. So, uh, yeah. And so that's uh, the month of Av, the fifth month. The sixth month, you can remember, is the month right before the seventh month. And the seventh month, of course, is Tishri, and we have Rosh Hashanah, and the High Holy Days, and Yom Kippur, and the Festival of uh, Tabernacles, or Sukkot. So that sixth month, Elul, is that time of preparation before those High Holy Days and before judgment. That's why we blow the shofar every day of Elul, except on Shabbat. So to give you, a, you know, just a nutshell of this first half of, of God's calendar, it won't be but about another 10, 11 days, and we'll be kicking off Elul. Right? And get your shofars ready, and then we'll have our uh, Tashlik service and teach our children to put those sins on the rocks, throw them in the water, and and have repentance and so forth. If anybody's looking for a sign, uh, Elul begins with a solar eclipse. It sure does. So here. 21st of August. Um, well, that doesn't look too good from here. You have to go down to Columbia and look at it. You can go down to Columbia. You can just watch it online at the NASA site, which is probably a better idea, and I'll tell you why. You won't bring your eyes. You probably proper sunglasses. The, last, the last time there was a total solar eclipse in the United States. It was 38 years ago. And there's a woman on the internet right now who's going around teaching as much as she can because she was at that last eclipse, as was I. I heard some of, some of her older fans. Right? <laughs> um, right? Um, but she was teaching at that time in a school. And she taught her children about school kids about the solar eclipse and that it was going on right outside right at that time and the school felt that it was probably wiser to keep the children indoors and not potentially have them look at the eclipse and one woman one young girl 
asked to go to the bathroom. And she went to the ladies' room. And she looked out the window in the bathroom. And for about eight to ten seconds, looked at the eclipse. But she closed one eye just in case. When she returned to the classroom, her right eye seemed to be as if she had just had a flashbulb in front of her, as if somebody had taken her picture. The next day they took her to the doctor and she had a very small hole burned in the back of her retina. After looking at the solar eclipse, which you'd think wouldn't be that bright, I mean, my goodness, the moon's covering the sun, for less than 10 seconds, and to this day, 38 years later, she has a hole in the back of her retina, and if she looks right at you, your whole face is black. Oh, that's scary. But she has perfect sight everywhere else. I really want to encourage you, especially those of you with kids, guard your children. They are curious by nature and by God's design. I think it's spectacular that we could drive an hour, hour and a half, and see an amazing event. An oat, a sign in the heavens, designed by God. You might want to watch it on the end. To kick off the season of repentance. To, to kick off repentance is in the feet. Oh, it could be my son's birthday. That's right. So we will not <laughs> be able to see it for later. My son's birthday. Um, you and can see daughter. it from here, but it won't be that right. good compared to what it would be like if you were in Florida. It's going to go right no over the line. Really? Yeah. Well, so the view good. here is going to be okay, but it won't be perfect. But NASA is broadcasting it live on the internet. So 21st when? 21st of August. It's all day. All day? Well, it's not all day. I, I heard it's it's around two minutes. Yeah, it's going to yeah, They're going to have a, a show leading up to it right after lunch. You know, it's you know, a great article. Yeah. About two minutes. Right? You're at that red line. They, uh, the, 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 obviously, working at Duke Energy, they were saying uh, in Colombia, it will get so dark that and for so long yes, that the streetlights will come on. Oh, that's crazy. pretty crazy. Yeah. So it won't be very dark here or will it get dark? It'll, it'll, it'll be dimmer, but not that much. Yeah. You know, the sun's going to go past it's gonna be, yeah, The angle's going to be different. So yeah. you'll still if, you've got, if you've got the moon in front of the sun and we're over sense. here, what's going to happen? The birds will quiet down, things will get a little weird. I mean, do you remember the last one? I do. You know, it was, Seems it's, like there were a couple of them when I was in school. But there weren't total ones. That that right. total one was almost 40 years ago, but I mean, it was eerie. I don't know if I mentioned this here, but... 2,000 years ago? That's right, that's right, that's right, yeah. You can do a little, you can take a piece of paper with a hole in it and you can focus yeah. it. An image can, of it. You can watch it. And on so the you can see like a little crescent as it's as it's coming or going. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember walking That's under trees, and you know how trees will have little patches of light like this all over the ground under the trees. They were all crescents hmm. underneath the trees. Oh, so. My dad did the did the cardboard with a pinhole. And he sat up there and he said, You just look down. Don't you dare look up. Just look, look right there. Most of the stores are selling glasses for a dollar. Well, they say that um, there's websites now from doctors that are helping to uh, help you ensure that you actually don't have fake knockoffs that will not protect your eyes if you put these sunglasses on. 
I'm not going to say they're from China. I don't know that that's true. <laughs> Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who gave us the Torah of truth and implanted eternal life within us. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, oh, Tom says, 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Is it really that easy, that simple? And we know it is. Amen. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Brock. God bless you both. Gentlemen, I'll see you this Shabbat. And we'll be broadcasting live video for entry into preparing for judgment. True. I'm pretty cool to have more time It might be. We, uh, so Juliana got had her midwife appointment today. Oh, thank you, sir. And uh, looks like it might be another 10 days. Two weeks. You see what it says? Okay. Say I have to care. Yeah, I love you all. That's great.